Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your love and mercy and grace. We thank you for everything you do in us, everything you do through us. God, you're such a good God, a good daddy. And uh, we thank you for being in a place, like your word says, that secret place that we can come to in a time of need, a place of grace we can come to in a time of need. And so, Lord, I just pray today that as I teach this, God, that we'd have hearts to hear, ears to hear, hearts to receive. And, Lord, I pray that you would uh, show us things and even, uh, God, burn within us an urgency for evangelism, to preach this gospel, God, before the coming King. And so, Lord, we thank you. That's our mandate as believers. And uh, I just pray today that we get a hold of that, God, and that that spirit of faith and evangelism would burn inside of our hearts from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't even know if I mentioned, I think I was, I was supposed to teach today on the rapture. Um, but the more I went over my notes, I'm like, that's really a rabbit trail right now from what I'm, what I'm teaching on. So I still have the notes and I may teach on it maybe towards the end of it because it's more of a teaching. You know, it's, it's like five arguments against the pre-tribulation raptures, a section of it. Uh, what the elect is as a section of it. So I'll, get, I'll probably do that one day, maybe at the end of all this, but I just think we need to stick to the trajectory of Matthew 24. <clears throat> and so uh, today we're going to talk about the need for discernment. Uh, last week we left off at uh, Matthew 24, verse 31. <clears throat> we'll start at verse 30, where Jesus said, At that time the Son of Man, remember the, the disciples asked him, When and where will be the sign of your kingdom? What will be the sign? When will be the sign? And he went through Matthew 24. He's just bam, bam, bam. This is the sign. This is when it's going to happen. This is what to look for. But he says this, At that time the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And So that's where we left off. So we're going to pick up in verse 20 or 32 about the fig tree, Jesus said this, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, now this is important, and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near, verse 33. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so sometimes we hear, and I know we've heard it, and I used to kind of adhere to this, but the more I study it, the more I see this. A lot of times this gets taught that this is symbolism referring to the nation of Israel. The problem with that is there's nothing in this passage to say that that's what it's talking about at all. Number two, that Jesus was being literal here. So what's it talking about? The, the assumption that this fig tree, uh, fig tree is referring to, to Israel. Now, let me just start over. Israel became a nation in 1948. This is the, the train of thought. Israel became a nation in 1948. A generation is 70 years, so therefore, uh, we must be the uh, last generation. And like I said, the problem with that, nothing in this passage says that this refers to Israel. Nothing. So, so, you know, again, this is where people take symbolism and stick it in a passage to try to back up their timeline or whatever. 
And now is it true that Israel has to be a nation for all, everything to happen? Absolutely. You've got to have Israel being a nation. You've got to have Jerusalem in place so you can have a temple so the Antichrist can rise to power and desecrate the temple. So by that thing, yeah, all that's got to be here. But that's not what Jesus was saying here. If Jesus was referring to Israel here, the verse would say this. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the, tree, the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see Israel become a nation, you know that it is near, but that's not what he said. Again, we've got to use the word. <laughs> you know, we don't take our beliefs and try to make the word fit our beliefs. We've got to make our beliefs fit the word. So Jesus didn't say that. He said, when you see all these things, what things? Everything he mentioned in Matthew 24. When you see all these things come to pass. Now you've got to understand, Jesus was talking to a bunch of disciples who were very familiar with agriculture. They lived in an agricultural society. And it'd be like in our day and age, or in our time, in our culture here, if Jesus was to say, you know, you know when the corn's so high and it looks like this, that falls right around the corner. That's what he was saying. You know when the, when the twigs come out and the leaves come out, that it's near. That summer is near because of how the fig tree looks. He was just using an, an analogy. He wasn't saying this referred to anything specific. He was just saying, you know, when you see all these things come to pass, it's right around the corner. And so... Uh, you know, that, take that for what it's worth. But the idea, so, so we're watching these things unfold, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm just pretty straightforward. I don't think, personally think we're as close to return of Jesus as a lot of people project because all these things Jesus said. So I'm going to agree with what Jesus said. Jesus said all these things. He only said one, there's one thing to look for, and that's the abomination of desolation, which we talked about. That's the only thing. So when we talk about signs, you know, the, the, the study of the end times, which is very dangerous with a lot of Bible prophecy teachers, is they, they study it and make a checklist of signs. That's not why we study Bible prophecy. Having a checklist of signs is only helpful if all your signs are 100% accurate. <laughs> and nobody can claim that. Nobody can claim that. However, Jesus did say, he went through Matthew 24 and he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's when it's coming down to the wire. So he gave us, you know, in my opinion, that's the thing to look for. And until that happens, and even when that happens, it's still three and a half years after that. According to Scripture. According to Scripture, we got to stick to the Word. <clears throat> and so nobody, you know, to say we have, you know, we, these, they have all these Bible charts and they, people have debates on it. And I love watching debates on that kind of stuff. I just... I love hearing people's thoughts on it and why they believe what they believe and, and all that kind of thing. But, However, the purpose of studying the, the end times is not to get a, a checklist of signs, it's to prepare ourselves. And I think the problem we see in Bible prophecy world is we spend, you'll have a book that thick on the signs of the end times and not one chapter on preparing ourselves. The reason we study Bible prophecy is to know what's coming and to prepare ourselves for what's coming. And then we're going to be talking about that, and then, and then the next few sermons are not going to be very comfortable. Because one truth, that, one truth that comes out of the three parables of Matthew 25 is this, just because you are a Christian now does not mean you'll be one then. And that's a scary thought. And we'll talk about that in, you know, when we get to those messages. So the end game of the last days is to prepare ourselves. Can someone give me a bottle of water? This coffee ain't doing the trick.
It's drying me out up here. Chewbacca. Got to keep, got to keep it real up here, you know. So, in, in preparing ourselves, in, to, in preparing ourselves for the end times, we must understand this one thing: the coming kingdom was the backdrop of everything in the Bible. The coming kingdom was the backdrop of everything in the early church. It was the reason they evangelized. It was the reason they emphasized purifying themselves. Everything they did was motivated by this one truth, that the Messiah would come again and would rule and reign forever. Thank you, Beth. This one truth. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It says in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented them, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So this was after the resurrection, before the ascension, uh, some days before the day of Pentecost, not long before the birth of the church. And they were sitting around eating with Jesus, and Jesus told them to go stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. But it says that they ask him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? This was something that was deep in their hearts. They knew the prophecies. They knew the old, what the prophets talked about, the restoration of the kingdom. All those, listen, and all those things listed in Matthew 24 hadn't even happened yet. And they, you know, he just told them, this is the signs. But... They were still asking him, okay, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of, uh, to Israel? And so as Jewish men who lived under Roman occupation, they longed for that day when Jerusalem and Israel would not be under the rule of anybody except Jesus, the Messiah, or the King. And so he answered him with this question. It is not for you to know the dates or the, uh, to know the times or the dates the Father has set for his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus turned their attention away from focusing on the timing of the end or the timing of the restoration of Israel to what they were to do now. The Holy Spirit came to be witnesses. The question is, witnesses of what? (laughs) What were they to be witnesses of? And this is the game changer between focusing on the wrong thing and doing what he said to do. This is where it separates right here. Some would say, uh, you know, the, the power, and even people that don't believe in the move of the Holy Spirit anymore, they say, well, the Holy Spirit was poured out and they had miracles and all that stuff then, now that we have the Bible. That was just to get the church to grow, you know, at, at first. And they'll say, it was uh, witnesses that Christianity is the true religion. That's what the Holy Spirit's for, is to give witness that uh, Christianity is a true religion. 
Is it to be a witness that Jesus is alive? I've heard that one. Is that, is that why? Is that what it's all about? To give a witness to Jesus being alive? Witnesses of God's power, is that what it's for? To show how powerful he is? Well, the Holy Spirit definitely gives witness to all these things, but right before they asked Jesus about the timing of the kingdom, he appeared to them for 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So the flow of this conversation went like this. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, which prompted the question about the timing of the restoration of Israel. Jesus said, that ain't for you to worry about. Go wait in Jerusalem till you receive the Holy Spirit. Then you will be witnesses. So what are we supposed to be witnesses of? The coming restoration of the kingdom and the coming king. That's the reason the Holy Spirit's given to us. I'm about to just take I'm just about to poke some holes in some religious cows right now about the moving of the Holy Spirit. Because I think in, in charismatic Pentecostal churches over the years, we've gotten way off base about the moving of the Holy Spirit and things concerning the presence of God. Many times our basis for the spiritual things that God has for us is motivated by the wrong thing. The church I got saved in, they, would, they taught us that if you didn't speak in tongues, you was going to hell. You know, so the emphasis became speaking in tongues. So you spoke in tongues, and then that, that's pretty much it. They talked about Jesus coming, but they didn't talk about the kingdom. They definitely didn't talk about witnessing. It was all about you got to get that prayer language or you're going to hell. And so that's, everything was revolved around that. Now, I got a lot of good stuff out of that church, desire for holiness. But I had to move on because I started reading the Bible and found out it's a little bit more than that. Speaking in tongues. And so looking through even Pentecostal church history, my own Christian life, listening to people over the years, the emphasis concerning the Holy Spirit is hardly ever about being empowered to be a witness. I can think of just a handful of preachers, that are, I'm talking about televangelists, that talk about the Holy Spirit in that fashion. That the power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. There's very few. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit and the presence of God has become a marketing point. That's what's happened. So now we've come to the place in, in America where the, the Spirit of God and the, the, the presence of God, it's all about having an experience with God. I'm going to say something here, and I challenge you to prove me wrong. You can't find that in the Word of God, having an experience with God. You know what Matthew 10, 7 says? Verses 7 and 8. He said, Jesus said, go, go and preach, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely you have received, freely give. But now we're preaching this, come and experience Lift your hands and worship and God might bless you. That ain't even scriptural. We don't worship God to receive from God. We worship God because he's the king and he deserves it. And we've taken worship in the word and re we've taken the word and replaced it with worship. You can't find anywhere in the Bible where worship is the agent of change. Not one place. We worship him because he's holy. We worship in the beauty of holiness. The agent of change is the word. What does it say in Hebrews 4.12? It says it divides the soul and the spirit. 
The Word of God judges your thoughts. So what we do, let's have a worship conference. And everybody's worshiping and having a great emotional experience, but ain't nobody getting changed. Because the enemy has robbed the Word of the American church. I'm saying it's your personal relationship with God. Show me out of the word. Habits, the praises of his people. He didn't say worship changes you. The word of God is what changes the heart and changes the mind and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why, and actually this is why a lot of people have beliefs and they can't back it up with scripture. Because you have an experience and there can be some surgery in the heart, but there's no foundation. So when people have questions, we don't have an answer. We have an opinion. But the problem is, is we got to get back to this. We have to get back to this book. And so I've had some powerful experiences with God in church services. And I've said it before preaching. But the most I've changed is when I'm just me and God and the Word of God and praying and worshiping and praying in the Spirit or whatever. I've gotten more, grown more closer to Him in my personal time than in a setting like this. That's all I'm saying. And I'm also, I can back everything up with the word. And we got to start here. And I mean, we just, we have to start here. And so my challenge is that. And uh, because that's, we have a generation coming up that is basing everything off of emotion and feeling. And they can't, you know, in, in most popular churches, they're not even talking about the, the coming. They don't even know about the coming of Jesus. It's about an emotional experience. And I've had some great experiences with God, but I'll tell you what, sitting down with this book, when I learned how to, get, how to sit down with this on my own and let him teach me on my own, and not, not really what, you know, there was a season I went, I listened to teachers and stuff, but I very seldom do anymore. When you learn how to get a hold of this, and I'm actually going to teach you how to do that. There's a Bible study thing I learned that you can even teach your kids how to do it. It takes 10 minutes. I do it with my kids. We've been doing it before school. Read three, you read any passage, I don't care, you can hate to read. And you can just read one passage, there's three questions you ask, you write it down or you whatever. But we got to get back to this book. I mean, that's just, uh, that's the point of what I'm saying, I'll go on from there. But So anyway, let's look, at, as we look through modern church history, so it was more about having an experience with God, even now the presence of God has become a marketing point. Here's the reason. The reason the Father poured out His Spirit is so we can be a witness for Him. Okay, the, I put this question on Facebook and nobody, nobody could even answer it. I said, when's the last time you heard a message about the Holy Spirit and the presence of God that, that was a focus on evangelism? That the focus was telling people about Jesus. No. The focus is he'll make you a nice person. He'll, he'll help you be a better business partner. He'll help you be a better father, mother. He'll help you. Which, those things will happen. I mean, if you listen to the Holy Spirit and you're a business owner, you follow his lead, Marty can testify to this, you're going to be successful. But that's because everything God touches, he blesses. That, but that's not the reason. Because how does that fit into a third world country? So those things might happen. We need more power in our churches. And any, are any of these things wrong? No. The fruit of the Spirit will help you be nicer and loving. If you're a business owner, you will be more successful. But the message 
Which is, is the message has become in the Western church to come and see instead of go and preach. And I believe that is a tactic of the enemy. Because the world don't mind you having church in your services as long as you just go feed the hungry. Just go feed the hungry. Just go close some people that need clothes. But just stay out of the world. The message of the gospel is to go, not to come. The message of the Bible is this. Go and give others an experience with God. It's not to come to church and have an experience with God. Now that just shatters everything we've been taught in the Pentecostal church. And I've said it before. Now there's sometimes we, you know, we have things happen in our life and we're just beat down and we can't wait to get to church, man. And you know what? That happens. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm saying if our food for our walk with God is Sunday morning, we're starving. And you know what I'm talking about. If you ate one meal a day, one meal a week, I mean, when I say, you know, January, when I say, yeah, we're going to start fasting week, I mean, the groans that you hear out of the congregation, oh, no, fasting week. We know it's physically, we know it in the physical, but we got to get back to the Word of God. Hebrews 6, 5 says this, of course, it's talking about people that have backslidden, but it, it proves the point. It talks about people who have tasted the goodness of the Word. And the powers of the coming age. All this power that we experience, is, is, it's the powers of the coming age. It's a taste of the coming age. And I don't care if we had a service one Sunday where the physical Shekinah glory of God showed up and everybody was knocked out on the floor for three hours. It's still a taste. <laughs> if you ever been to a buffet, see the COVID-19s of the devil because they close all the buffets down. <laughs> Go to a buffet... You have all that food there. You may eat till you're, till you're full, but you never. nobody goes and eats the whole buffet. Well, if you do, you need prayer. But nobody goes and eats the whole buffet. You, just, you get enough for you and you go home. You get a taste. Or if you've ever, you know, you see these, sh- these wedding shows where they go and they're looking for a venue and they go, they bring out all this food that they might could get, you know, and they take a taste, just a little taste of this and that and the other. It's just a, it's just a small portion of what you could have. That's what the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be, to give people a taste of the kingdom of God. But what has happened in America, because we've turned inward, is now the presence of God and the Holy Spirit has become all about me getting the experience. But what we're going to, what I'm going to, I could, out of the apostles, not the message of some preacher on TV, not the message I'll even say what they taught college, I have since changed my view on. But what the apostles said. So let's look at the first sermon of the infant church in Acts chapter 2. Now I won't go through the whole thing. It'd take too long. But we'll start out in verse 29. This is after the day of Pentecost. And people were saying, oh, these guys are drunk. You know, they started speaking in tongues and stuff. Verse 29, Peter said, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried... And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 31. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. 
verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Verse 33, and exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord is my Lord. Sit at my hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Look what he says in verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so he was preaching to a Jewish crowd. When you read the whole chapter 2 of Acts, he was preaching. Jews from all over the world came to celebrate Pentecost. And they understood the promise that David would have a descendant. There'd be the throne of David would be established forever. Peter was saying, this is the guy. This Jesus shall crucify. This is the one. And so it went back to the kingdom. Peter said that the Holy Spirit was poured out, listen, to assure. When you read this whole passage, the reason the Holy Spirit was poured out to, is to assure that God had made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So the Jewish mindset, mindset understood that the Messiah is the one who fulfills this promise. And then Peter said in verse 31 that they were witnesses of the resurrection. So Jesus' resurrection, listen, was not to prove he was God. That's a Western teaching. His resurrection was to prove he was the Messiah and the descendant of the throne of David. That's... What he was saying, that's what Peter was saying. So he was resurrected as the one. It was proof that he was the one who would live, live forever according to the promise. And then you get back into the covenants, which is a whole other teaching. Jesus will be at the right hand of the Father, it says, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When the time comes for all Israel's enemies to be destroyed, the king will return to possess the throne of David and will reign forever. See, the Jewish crowd understood that. And that's what he did. He, Jesus, it all had to do with the coming kingdom. What they preached all had to do with the coming kingdom. Now, when they preached to the Gentiles, they didn't bring that up because Gentiles didn't understand. But when you look at all the sermons in the book of Acts, when they preached to the Jewish people, it was always about, every time, about the coming kingdom because they understood. Let's look at Peter's next sermon in Acts chapter 3. This is about the guy that got healed. Uh, he was lame in his feet. We'll start out at verse... Uh, let's start out at verse 11, Acts three eleven. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disown him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that was completely healed, as you can all see, verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn so that your sins may be wiped out, that the time of refreshing may come, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus." Heaven must receive him until the time 
comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his prophets. And so this man gets healed, uh, you know, that's been lame for 30-something years. When you read the story, what did he do? He pointed back to the kingdom. This is the Jesus that's coming back, the coming king, he's the one that did this. Of course, then we know they got the apostles got beat up and everything later on for preaching that or telling that. But so Peter directs them to the prophets who declare the restoration of all things, which will culminate in the Messiah coming again. I'm going to say this: this is the gospel message, the message of the kingdom. Everything else is an extension of that, the coming kingdom. But but here's the issue: Western Christianity is what most of us are accustomed to because we live in a Western world which has flipped the gospel into a self-gospel rather than a selfless gospel. We like to talk about our self-esteem. The only problem with that is Jesus said that we're to crucify ourselves. So we want to esteem highly what God said to crucify. And these are the type of things where discernment has to come in. Anything that takes away from the cross and who he is and what his desire is, is not the gospel. Period. If you don't see the, the, the apostles talking about it. The apostle Paul, his idea of the perfect worship service was chained to a wall with rats at his feet and the sewage of the Roman city around his feet. That's how he got into the presence of God. See, when you understand these things, you don't need help. He, he knew the king. And he said, the word of God is not chain. If you don't shut my mouth, I'm going to preach. If you don't shut my mouth, I'm going to praise him. If you don't shut my mouth, I'm going to worship him. You put me in a jail, just get, leave my mouth open. And I'll get myself out of here. I'll praise myself out of here. And see, when I see this, and then I see a lot of the teachings I've absorbed over the years, it's like, how does that fit? No, we got to have the right worship leader. We got to have the right drum set. We got to have the right song. We got to have the newfangled thing, or we just can't get into the presence of God. Is that not a fact? But I still go back to that old Pentecostal church I got saved in. You had one guy on a guitar and one lady that could half play the piano. Sister Childress, we called her. You know. The modern-day Pentecostal church just can't even have a service like that. But I've seen a 90-year-old woman with a broken back get up and dance down the aisle. Just one old lady on a guitar. A bunch of people just trying to love Jesus the best they can, even though their doctrine was a little off. <laughs> but that's what we've got to get back to. We've got, we've got to get to the place where he's enough. I mean, I used to be, and you know, like I said, you're, there's seasons, you know, when you're young in Christ. I mean, I spent so much money on DVD series and, and worship CDs over the years. I don't need any of that stuff anymore, and I'm not bragging. I've just come to the place where I know he's right here. He's right here. You don't, we don't need that stuff, and we've got to get to the place. Now, if you're there and you, and you need that stuff, don't get under condemnation. The point I'm making is we have got to get to the place where we know how to access heaven like that. Have five kids running around all day. You've got to learn pretty quick. <laughs> I was praying tongues a lot more than I used to. <laughs> Amen. What used to take 15 minutes in Bible study now takes about three hours on my bedroom door. You know. 
So everything concerning the life of the early church, if you don't get nothing else, get this, was an extension of their expectation of the coming king. And I'll share some scriptures with you, and then I'll be done. Titus 2, 11 through 13, Paul telling the young pastor this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Concerning spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 1, 7, it says, See that you come behind to no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning our citizenship, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning faith, 2 Peter 3.13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth. Concerning 1 Thessalonians, you know there's a lot of talk about justice this day and age. And I'll, I'll say this, and I'll just go to it. Racism, will, it won't. Am I saying we shouldn't stop, try to help? Try to help best we can, but it ain't going to stop. God, is, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, God is just. It says, He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Verse 7, And give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen. is revealed in fire with powerful angels. Nobody is going to get by with anything. You know, people done us wrong and they die, you know, and, and they, they ain't right with God. People, everybody's got to give an account. You can fool me pretty easy, but you ain't going to fool him when he pops those books open. He's going to make it right. He will level the playing field. Concerning grace, 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, look what it says, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in His coming. Expectation? That's a whole other realm of expectation. We talk about expecting things now, but how much do we expect the coming of the King? Concerning suffering, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though some strange things were happening. What did he say? Whatever you're going through, he said, it's just life, you know. Verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in this. You may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Comfort they always gave their sole source of comfort. Oh, all things work together for good. No, sometimes things don't work together for good. Your house burns to the ground. How's that work together for good? You lose a child, how does that work together for good? Some things don't work together for good. You've got to read that thing in context. That ain't what it's saying. That verse, well, that, this is interesting. You also be patient. It says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What's the reason for everything? Our faith, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Getting our hearts right. Getting our lives together. Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. And this was written 2,000 years ago. And what I've learned, and this is what I've learned in studying Bible prophecy. Something happens inside of your heart that you can't get no other way. 
a lot of the struggles, the moral struggles, the stuff you deal with just seems to go away. Because you understand, because you're solely focused on one thing. And I'll go on record to say this. I don't rightly mind me if I ever feel the tangible presence of God again, because that is not what I'm after. I'm after the coming king. I'm after the coming king. And when you do that, it fuels you like it never fueled me before. That's why evangelism has got to happen now. That's why we got to be witnessing now. Don't, don't just, rather you go and say, get people saved and say, go to whatever church you want to. Or go down the street if you want to, but you need Jesus. Because in Christ's likeness, look what it says, dear friends, because, you know, we need to be more Christ-like, you know, we'll tell ourselves. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So you, you know, you're, you're struggling to be Christ-like. You know what it says? When he comes, you're going to be Christ-like. That don't mean we quit trying to purify ourselves. We still try to purify ourselves. But you got to understand, as holy as you think you are, you ain't, it ain't nothing what you're going to be. Everything God has given us is to prepare ourselves and others for the returning of the king. This is the plumb line of the Bible. I'm telling you, I've been studying this stuff since quarantine. I said, if they're going to make me sit in quarantine, I'm going to make it worth my while. And I've been studying three or four hours a day up until school started. Put the kids, go watch YouTube or something. And I just sit in my room and study this stuff. And, I, and one thing I see that this is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's the story. It's not about raising, giving us a, a healthier life, a better life. It's not about making us feel good. It will cost you everything. The gospel and everything about it. If we're living the, 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 a true Christian life, everything about the gospel should be uncovered. The gospel will cause you to lose 10, 34, and 39 says this. To bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, said a man against his father, a daughter against her mother-in-law. Well, I think that happens whether the gospel's involved or not. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 36, it says, A man's enemy will be, enemies will be those of his own household. Father or mother more than me, Jesus of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who will find it. There is nothing about the Christian life that is appealing to the flesh. It will cost you everything. I've walked away from high-paying jobs because God said go to Bible college. And the guy that took the job that I would have had if I wouldn't have went to Bible college made $20,000 in one month 20 years ago. Sometimes you've got to cut your friends off. See, this ain't popular in this tolerant society we live in. There comes a time you have to make a choice. My best friend, when I got saved, he was a brother to me. 
Went and visited him. He's going to go get high. I said, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I ain't going with you. Who do you think you are? Are you better than everybody now? He said, we'll just go smoke it. You can just, sit and, you can just go by the trees or something until we're done. I said, I don't even want to smell it. He's not coming. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. If you can't let loose of that money, then that money's your God. It may cost you your job. It's going to be worth it. But I think, and I'm going to say this, and I believe this prophetically, in the days we're living in, our focus has got to be training ourselves to suffer. Rather than training. Because you've got two camps. And it's, it's always in the middle. You've got some that say, oh, a great revival's going to We need to unbeast deal. Well, like, well, that's happened in the past. No, this is huge. Because it ain't like the peace deal of Egypt of 1979 or the peace deal in 1994 with Jordan. Those were kind of more, you know, is where two, an Arab nation, a Muslim fourth plane, they're going to, they're going to, the other one's the moderate branch. And so now you got Saudi Arabia and the nations that are more moderate, Egypt, that are all for that deal. But then you have Turkey and Iran and these other ones that want, that want the caliphate to come in. And so now it's a great thing what has happened over there, the peace between these two nations. But now what's going to happen, we're going to start seeing the alignment of who's with peace and who's not. And those that are not are going to be the ones that are for the Islamic caliphate, probably headed by Turkey. So this thing's coming down to the wire. Fast. And uh, we just need to get with the program, you know what I mean? We need to start sharing our faith as much as we can. And uh, look at our lives. See some stuff, need clean, you know, what needs cleaned out. Because it's like, we'll talk, so, but there's no guarantee because you're walking with him now, you will be later. That's what all the parables teach us. That there'll be those that say, wait a minute, I knew you. You know, we did this. I don't know you. I don't know you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for an understanding of the days we're living in. And I pray that you give us ideas and inventions and, and things to do to, and, how to, and uh, give us a quickening and address somebody in public, you know, when we're out in the stores or whatever, concerning, concerning salvation. And so, Lord, I just pray for everybody here. I pray for the seeds in our heart, lasting righteousness, God. And I just, God, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. If you need prayer for anything.